a team of strangers who got together in the beginning of the, of the week, quickly learned about each other, became a family, and then we created and made something and we could be proud of it. This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton, and you just heard the voice of Edric McCalligan. Edric is director of High Tech High Chula Vista, but before that, he was a classroom teacher for 17 years in elementary and middle school. And when I was teaching high school humanities, nobody was doing work that inspired and pushed me more than Edric. There's a million teaching things I want to ask Edric about, but today we focused on how he launched his class over the first two weeks of the year. We talked about what happened when a kid first walked into his classroom on day one. We talked about how he designed the first two weeks with the arc of the full year in mind. And we talked about what he did when he was a month or two into the year and realized the classroom culture wasn't where he wanted it to be. To start, I'll let Edward tell you a little more about himself. My name is Edric McCalligan. I'm director at High Tech High Chula Vista. I've been teaching for over 21 years. All of my years have been here in Chula Vista. Yeah, where'd you start? I first started teaching a fifth and sixth grade combination class uh, at Myrtle S. Finney Elementary School, about seven miles north of the border for the Chula Vista Elementary District, and I was there for 11 years. Uh, and I was there until I um, learned about the GSE, went through the GSE program as a second cohort, uh, fell in love with High Tech High, and then I made the switch over year 12 to work for High Tech High. And that was the GSE's, the Graduate School of Education. Yeah, yes, that's correct. Yeah. For, for our listeners who don't know. So then you came to High Tech Middle Chula Vista. Correct. And then how long were you there for before you went into administration? Um, I was in the classroom for six years. Taught five years in seventh grade. Um, and then I moved down to sixth grade. And then you became a dean, right? Yep. Then afterwards, I became a dean for two years um, with Rod Buenviaje, the director at the middle school. Um, and then after that, I had the great opportunity to come here to the high school, uh, to direct the high school. How long have you been director here now? I'm in my third year now yeah. as the director for the high school. So you've spanned, you started in elementary, now you're in high school. College next. <laughs> no, no, I think high school is where it's, um, high school is where it's at. If I've found a love for high school, this is where I'm going to be for the next 20 years till I retire. Now, I want to take you back to that teacher mindset. Yeah. What are the things that kids have created that you really like look back on you're like man that was awesome I think probably one of my favorite projects was the Meals and Muppets project and the idea just really came from this I focus on eating healthy or at least being conscious about what we're eating and so I think the driving question that year was like should I eat that and I know it's like a yes or no question and it's not really open-ended but at least it just gave us a, a starting point to like have kids think about what they're eating when I think about projects it's always like an umbrella of different projects that we're going to do all centered around that same area. So in that year, we watched all the documentaries about food during the time, read Omnivore's Dilemma with students, started a farm on our campus, and we're producing lots of food on the on our campus, and also gave students an opportunity to create and make a movie. And I remember we had an open conversation with students that year about really wanting to change what middle school kids eat, and then we attempted to do some stuff with it, like posters and little presentations. And then kids realized in an open, reflective conversation that we're not gonna change anybody in middle school. Mr. Mack, they're always bringing chips. They're gonna bring, drink soda. We're not gonna be able to do that. And then as kids were talking and asking questions, like, well, where can we start? And one kid says like, well, my brother is in kinder. I was like, what if we did something to make something for our kinder buddies? I'm like, oh, and at that time we are doing kinder buddies where our seventh grade students would read two kinder buddies once a week. 
And they said, okay, so the, that project that year shifted to the audience from middle schoolers to kinder buddies. And then through more co-creating with each, with each other, kids came up with Sesame Street. And then they, there was a need of wanting to make their own Muppets. And I said, great. And so my team partner at the time got onto that. And so together as, as a group, students made their own Muppets, which were fabulous in what they created, could stand side by side with Muppets on Sesame Street, and then wrote a full script for a 40-minute movie to teach kindergartners about healthy eating, healthy living. And so it was just like that entire year-long endeavor was just fun. But the one thing that we did in the beginning of the year was to shift the idea that they're coming to school, blur the lines of a humanities class and a math science class, and called ourselves Seven Wests because we're the seventh grade class on the west side of the building, but we're a Seven West video production. And so out of that video production, kids were felt like they weren't coming to school, but they were just coming to work and part of this production company. So they all had different roles. And the whole idea of the year was like, we're going to create this 40-minute movie. We're going to produce all these things. We're going to have a community dinner that we're going to host. All of these things came together beautifully under this umbrella idea of how do we best think about what we're eating and make conscious choices to do better about what we're eating so that we can be more healthy. It was probably my favorite year of teaching in my entire career. Put yourself in in the head of a kid coming into Mr. Mack's class, Mm -hmm. first day of school. Well, let me ask, first of all, like, where does that begin? Does that begin when they walk into your classroom? Does that begin when they arrive at school? Do they get an email beforehand? What's the... Mm. How does their school year with you begin? The school year with me would begin with that like first initial email. You know, not too sure if like families will check that email, but it's just an, an introductory email, um, letting kids know like who I am. But it's really about opening up my life to kiddos because tr- traditionally I think kids will like expect an email like welcome to the school, make sure you have this, here are the supplies that you'll need. We're really excited for you to be here. Uh, for me, it's about welcoming them into a family setting. That's the thing that I've always wanted to focus on and in, in when I think about building culture from the get-go, from day one or even before day one, is that kids start to shift their mindset of like, oh, I'm coming to class. Now, instead of that, they're coming to family. Yeah. And so they get this email from me about like, hi, you know, you know, my name is Edric McCallaghan. This is who I am. I tell them things about my life. I love to mountain bike. I love to golf when I'm able to. Here are some of my hobbies. You know, some of us will have shared hobbies and I'm really interested in learning about you as well. This is who I am. This is what I bring to our family and really interested in learning about all of you and what you will be able to like bring to our family and how we can use our similarities and differences to like really build an amazing, uh, extraordinary year together. Um, so they get that first before they show up for day one. Do you get replies to that email? Not typically from students, because uh, it'll be an email to students and parents. A lot of parents will like reply and it's like, oh, thank you. It's great to, you know, really great to, to get this email. We're really looking forward to it. Sometimes parents will respond back and like co-write it with their students. Like, oh, this is who we are. And tell us a little bit about their kiddo so that I have um, something to build off of before the first day. Um, so not typically, but after the first weeks, when we start to do some activities together, then we'll then I'll get more uh, replies from parents and students. Okay. So now we're getting to first day of school. Yeah. They got their schedule. They know that this is the period they're going to Mr. Max's class. Would you be outside? Were, were you a kind of like stand outside the, the classroom? Yeah, and bring absolutely. Them in? yeah, absolutely. I think it's important uh, for me that's like as, not even just outside, but like already wandering the halls that students are like trying to look for a place. And so, 
you know, first welcome is not just my the kiddos who are signed on my roster, but just like welcoming all of our kids. Like, hey, welcome to the high tech, high middle family. Really glad that you're here. This is the place you're supposed to be. And then as class started or is about to get started, then I would be at the front. So either high fives, daps, you know, just saying hi to each of the students and then just like, hey, welcome. We really appreciate that you're here. You complete our team. Um, you're here for a reason. You're meant to be here. Just um, doing my best so that kids can feel like they're being seen, heard, and valued before we even start the class. Mm -hmm. And what did you do? What was your first day thing? What did you What did you do? It was more like a first couple weeks thing. Mm -hmm. So the first day, it's really about, for me, building on the foundation of like creating like we are a family. And that the first day, right off the bat, we're going to do things where we're going to get to know each other. We're going to do things where we can build together and be part of a creative endeavor together. So that at the end of the day, we can feel proud that, hey, not only did I share something personal that I was comfortable sharing with my group so they can get to know me in a new way and so we can start to build relationships, but also as a team, we did something together and we built something together so we could be proud of it um, moving forward. And so that was always the focus is like, how do I first start the foundation to build relationship? And how do I build the foundation of like, we are a family, we are a team, we do things together. And that when we put all of our individual minds together with one focus, that we can really produce some amazing work. So I'm hearing two things there. Well, I guess three things, getting to know each other, feeling like a family yep. and making something together. Yeah. So start with the getting to know you. What are your like go-to activities? What are your getting to know you things that you're like, these are my, um, I mean, icebreakers or whatever you yeah. call them. Um, I was always the kid growing up and then even through college, I have a hard time like writing notes. And so I would always think in pictures and drawings and so like, like sketch doodling. And so the first activity sometimes would be an open activity of, of representing yourself as the way you think about yourself in school and representing yourself about how you think about yourself at home. And then you can use words, pictures, doodles, but students will have a ton of things that are on their desk already. So they might have some magazines that they might be able to cut out of, some glue sticks. There might be, you know, a list of character traits that are out also so kids can like pull from that list so that they can write that on their paper. There might be lots of different art tools so that kids can use whatever medium that they want so that they can kind of help represent how they see themselves as a student and how they see themselves um, outside of our school. So we're talking like little like puffy balls. Everything. Like. Yeah. If you just like if you think of me running through uh, a hobby store and just pulling all the things I can off the shelf and then dumping it on the table, that's what they come into. Um, yeah. and you know, maybe sometimes they're organizing little bins and things like that, but it's just really like here's all these things that we have here. Here's this whole table of things that you can use to represent yourself. Use whatever speaks to you as much as or as little as whatever, but whatever it is and how you do it is the answer is always going to be okay, you know, because kids were like, oh, is it all right if I do this stuff? Of course, if that's mm -hmm. what you want to do, yes. And then putting what they created on the on the desk and then their group members kind of like, oh, this is what I think when I look at what you've created and this is like our guess about who you are. So I'll do those kind of activities with intention. So I make sure to spend the time to debrief afterwards because we I always want to make sure that students have a deep understanding of like what our intentions are and what we put out into the world and what's perceived from those intentions. Mm -hmm. um, it'll help me later 
when it comes to like managing a class. It'll help me later when it comes to diving into group work. When we're having communication breakdowns between team partners, communication breakdown between groupings, um, I can always go back and say, hey, remember that activity that we did? Let's pull that out again. Remember how we did this and how at one point like you, you thought this about this, but then they actually gave you the truth about who they are and why they put that in there. So it's important for us to like really take a pause and listen and try, try to hear and find out what the intentions are about things that happen and then and then also voice out like how you perceive that. So there's like there's two layers to that activity. There's the the opportunity to share who you are and share who you are in and out of school and that sense of, hey, I'm getting to share this. But there's also a kind of lesson of you don't say, hey, here's my thing and this is why I put all this. You actually have the other person look at it cold. Yep. Come with their own interpretation. Yeah. And then you have a point about the difference between intent That's and it. how it's received. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. And so so day one, they're painting, they're popsicle sticking, they're drawing, they're doing whatever, they're making their yeah. thing. And then they share it with one person day one, or is it is day one just all making? Um, no, it, like, it depends on the time frame, right? So sure. uh, you know, they might spend a, a, a section of the day making and creating and just mm-hmm. having fun, right? Um, then we'll spend some time being able to share out. And then after we share out, then I would move in that day one, you know, let's say that takes 30 minutes, um, like 30, 40 minutes of making and sharing out the first time. You know, the rest of the time that we might have together would be the initial part of us like diving in and brainstorming of something that we might be able to creating together. And so that creation as a team will happen over a course of, a, you know, several days, whether that's like a, you know, a first week video that we'll send out to our parents, whether that's, um, you know, a giant Rube Goldberg um, machine that will like connect with each other and connect with all the other uh, teams. And so they understand there's a starting point and an ending point on each on each other's tables as they create this thing that's going to move. And it has to make sure it connects with the other table somehow. So we'll eventually always spend time doing some getting to know you in the relationship part uh, of what we're trying to do. And then we'll spend some time together as a team in the creating and making. So in your first week, you like make a thing together. Always, always. Yeah, I think I think it's important for us to like ground ourselves and also bond together to say like, hey, we did this. And so at the end of the week, we can feel proud like, hey, look at a team of strangers who got together in the beginning of the, of the week, quickly learned about each other, became a family, and then we created and made something and we could be proud of it. And then we can share it with our families like, hey, this is something that we made. Yeah. I'm really proud of it. And there's, it's low stakes because it's not part of a project. It's not going to get graded, but it just starts to build the culture of this is what we do, this is who we are, this is how we can help each other and, and move forward. So going in, you don't know what you're going to make. Is that right? Well, it depends. Sometimes I, we have an idea of the direction we want to go in. And so like, if like, let's say we do like simple machines and or looking at simple machines or pull these levers and then uh, we want to like do like a Rube Goldberg, you know, like domino effect something. So the kids understand like, hey, something has to be able to start here and end here, right, with some kind of trigger mechanism. That's going to be set. That way I know that all the machines can trigger off from the beginning of the machine all the way to the end as we put them all together. But then that's the only con- that's the only constraint. Other than that, yeah. you have the freedom of whatever's going to happen in the beginning, right? We take out again, like you know, our big bins of like all sorts of kind of things that kids can play with and make and create. I always, in the beginning of the year of all my classes, try to make sure to provide an opportunity for kids to be free and design and make something um, that is not under the constraints of like we're all going to do the same exact thing together, um, and just kind of really like exercise that part of our brain. And so you did the Rude Goldberg. Was that was that leading into a project that you knew was coming up that was going to be about 
simple machines or was that just like yeah so um depending on what like the big project is going to be for the year or the endeavor for that semester um, the first two three weeks are always focused on team building activities activities that we'll do in small group individual and on uh, the whole group that will all feed into whatever the project's going to be for the year right um, or for that for that semester um, so it's intentional so that we can always build on it come back to those um, activities but it's just uh, something to get the momentum started to get that first whiff of you know the smell of their favorite food that's what i always think about it's like all right if i'm going to give you like your favorite food the first experience you're going to have is like that sense of smell right when you smell like oh man you know mom and dad's making this and so i try to do that in a way of giving them an experience so they can get that first sense of like oh man we're really gonna we're, what are we gonna do, we're going to dive, we're going to do this, but on a larger scale and get them excited about that, um, getting them wanted like, oh, I can't wait till tomorrow. My goal has always been if I can create an experience so that at the end of the period, the kids don't want to leave and they're like, oh, I have to go out of math class. Then that's like, I've, I've done it. I've, I've, I've done my job, like getting them excited about being in my class and not wanting to leave, wanting it to carry on even longer past the period. So I always try to move in tension to build those experiences for kids so that every day they look forward to coming come to class. So you did that first week Rube Goldberg machine full class. Did it work? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, no. A couple times that I've done it with uh, two different um, cohorts of kids. Um, they work individually, but trying to connect them all together, sometimes they don't. And then we sit on that. It's like, all right, it didn't work. Let's think about why it didn't work. And then we you know, do a full debrief about that and what happened, what's going on, what can we do to make it work. And kids you know, talk about it. We'll give them a shot to try to get it to work on their own, to try to figure it out, to workshop ideas, present those ideas, vote on something that we can try to do to, to reiterate and then try it out. So we also use all that, that fun process of just making those silly machines to just uh, teach things that we do in class and things that we'll do, behaviors of things that we'll do for the rest of the year of just like critiquing our work, brainstorming new ideas, going to new iterations of, the, of, of our work. But we do it in a low stakes environment that's just a lot of fun for kids. Yeah. So what are some of the other examples of first week, first couple week yeah. smells of the good food? Yeah. Um, when I think about setting up classroom culture or thinking about helping to like manage a classroom I often think in terms of team building activities and then just like fun activities. So depending on like whatever it is that we're doing, if I get a sense of in, in my class that communication is slightly off, um, kids are not really paying attention to each other's needs, they're not in a place of like wanting to help each other out, then I will do different activities when they come in like the next day. I love cooking shows and some of my favorite cooking shows involve a mystery box. And so one day I was uh, at a local hobby store and found all these like wooden crates that were pretty inexpensive. So I bought it, like eight of them. And so when kids would come in on a certain day and I knew it was like something that I needed to like shift and change within the group dynamics, um, they would come in to empty desk with just a box sitting on their desk upside down. And they're like, what is this? And I you know, put directions on the board, like do not touch the box. It's for the first time, it's like, this is your mystery box challenge. So kids have no idea what's inside the box, but they're like waiting with anticipation, like, what is it? What do we have to do? I give them no instruction. And I said, for the next 45 minutes, you're going to be highly involved and engaged with your team with this challenge. And then, you know, I'll put a timer up, set ready, set go. So they open the box. And then in that box, uh, depending on the needs of how I'm uh, needing to like help manage or help shift my classroom, 
it'll depend like what's in there. So like a simple activity that I've used in the past is like broken squares or broken circles. So kids are given broken pieces of a square that when they build all the squares, the squares will be all the same size. But they're given random pieces of different squares. But the whole idea of that activity is that you have to build your own square, but you might get all the pieces you need, you might not, but you can't take a piece from somebody. Pieces are only allowed to be given, but you can't talk. And so the activity forces students to, one, not just try, try to accomplish something that they're trying to do, but also pay attention to the needs of their friends. And so like if they look over and say, like, oh, I have this piece, and I look over and I can see that they need it, they can only hand it to them, and their friend has to figure out where that piece goes. But already at that point, I am helping them to build that behavior that I'm hoping from them to be empathetic, to help their teammates with something that they may need. Um, and so they have that act of giving that piece to that other person so that eventually everybody gets to finish their square. And then we'll spend you know, 20, 30 minutes debriefing what the activity was about. What did they learn in that activity? And then I'll quickly shift that over to like, all right, in our class lately, we've been having lots of issues with just communication breakdown with, the, with what's happening. As we go dive into our project work and dive into our group work, how will this activity affect us and impact us? Let's write some goals down together and let's check up on these goals in a week. So I often will use team building activities as a means to help manage a class. And also like, you know, after like the first three weeks or four weeks of school, if I say, oh man, like things are kind of going a little wiry and crazy and, and kids just need a new direction. Instead of me talking about that new direction, I give them an experience, a shared experience in something fun like the mystery box challenge so that it's not really part of the project, but they could be involved in it. It's like a break from the project, but then it, we spend quality debrief time so to talk about the impact of what that activity was and how that's going to help us to move us forward for the next level. And do you have like a debrief protocol that you use or do you, is that just sort of a more instinctive view? Uh, it was partly instinctive, but it's just like basic reflection questions about, you know, asking kids like, what did you learn about yourself in that activity? What did you learn about each other in that, in that activity? Uh, what do you think the purpose was? What is a group benefit coming out of this? Those kind of, just those kind yeah. of basic questions. And then, you know, I'll let them start the converse, open conversation right there. And of course, like when we're in those conversations, we already like moved all the tables and chairs. We're sitting in circle format so that, we're, you know, we're all um, looking at each other and talking about each other and also like taking notes um, so that we can document our journey through that particular activity. And then from there, write a goal down as a group, like, all right, here's our goal for the week. So that's on a post-it paper somewhere in the room. And then we'll revisit that goal. It's like, hey, we really wanted to work on this goal. How well do we do? I think it's also important with kids that we celebrate small successes often and not just like at the end of the semester when we're doing our exhibition for our projects, but like we created a small goal. We accomplished this goal. Let's celebrate. Create a new goal and let's move forward from there. I think mm -hmm. All those small little celebrations help out with kids with just the motivation of continuing to, to move forward in a project and, um, and just yeah. the things that we're trying to do in the class. But you do those debriefs full class. Those are full oh, class. Oh, yeah, we always do it full class. Sometimes yeah. it, I'll do it full class. And then as we move back into the project work, if there's like two or three groups that I know that really needed to have that conversation, then I'll just sit down with that group and say, hey, we've had conversations this week about communication breakdown. We've had communicate. We have had individual conversations with each of you about something that you were having trouble with this group. It's like, what is a goal that we can create for just this group moving forward? Um, and oftentimes going through an activity that's not linked to the project helps them to better understand how they can make small shifts and changes so that they can help each other out moving forward. Yeah. And those broken squares, is that something you just buy? Like, I just, it's an activity that I've been through, and um, you know, it's, act, it's a free activity you could find online. What are some other ones? Some other activities that we've used, 
oftentimes I would um, do like design challenges or build challenges. Those are always a lot of fun. Like, you know, like the, the tower challenge using either blocks, dominoes, the spaghetti challenge, doing all those. Yeah. So all of those kind of team building activities, those are the things that I would like bring into the, the mystery box challenge. But it also really depends on like what we are experiencing in the class, how I, what are my needs into like shaping what I'm hoping for, addressing difficulties or challenges. Then when I would see that, I would talk with my team partners and, and try to devise an activity for us to use so that we can move it forward um, and then put that into a fun activity for kids in the mystery box. Yeah. I think you can do intentional team building that leads into the work that you want to dive into with kids and also use the team building as a way to launch. So like, you know, some folks will launch a project and take kids on a field trip. I often think about my launch as a three, two to three week launch. And that's where we build in all the team building activities. But every team building activity that we design for those two to three weeks serve a purpose for the project that we're going to dive into, whether it's the content of the, t- the team building activity or the actual behaviors and act- uh, uh, that they're going to engage in. All of that serves into you know, the, pur- the greater purpose when we dive into a two to three month project. And at the same time, I think kids can still dive into content through team building at the same time. You know, we often like we'll think about like how do you front load information, you know, for students. Well, I think front loading information can happen not just like, okay, we're gonna do like a jigsaw, you know, like I, that's not something I've ever been interested in, but I can I can take the same idea of front loading, turning into a fun activity through the mystery box challenge. So now kids are having to do something, create something, and learn information and trans and transform that information and get into some kind of group behavior dynamics of like learning something about each other as they work through the debriefs. And at the end of the day, they got into a, an amazing dope activity. They learned something to f- help front load information for me in, that's gonna lead into the project. Um, and they built a stronger connection together as a group. Um, I think you can do that all intentionally. That takes time and effort to build those, but it pays off in huge dividends when you're in the thick of the work um, in the project. Um, because we can always lean on that foundation. It just helps to build a much stronger foundation for the, the, the larger project work as you move forward. Can you give me an example of a content-rich mystery box? I think so a content-rich mystery box um, would be like with it. So we did this project called Drop the Beat. It was an exploration of hip-hop, a year-long exploration of hip-hop and beats and, and the use of, of hip-hop as a means to dive into like social justice. And so the mystery box uh, for us that year dealt with like listening to lyrics, um, listening to songs, and then diving into like pulling out like favorite lyrics and songs. So like we were bringing like Tupac and Biggie in, of course, like doing all the work and like letting parents know like that we're going to dive into this work because sometimes they might hear, uh, you know, a bad word or we'll do use radio versions, things like that. So the fun activity of that mystery box was that they're going to dive into like listening to music um, breaking up um, some lyrics and then diving into like writing questions about like why why were these lyrics created and just using that as a means to generate this list of fierce wonderings which what was in the box it wasn't um, like a disc man like a... <laughs> no um actually so we were able to score no so we were able to score some um old cassette players and some headphones, um, just because like I, I'm, a, I'm an '80s kid, and so 
I found some tapes. Um, I have like an old karaoke machine at home. So we like um, dumped like a, a bunch of the songs. And so they just had like, here's a cassette tape. And like, what is this? And like some kids had no idea how to use it. They would put this in this old Walkman. And that Walkman was like connected to, and I, you know, used newer technology that had a splitter for headphones. And I was like, what is this? And so they're like, use the splitter, put the headphones on, listen to a song. It's like, what what's going on? And they have like, okay, after hearing the song, choose some things that you've heard that you're you you know that you want to question or journal about those kind of things um, but it just helped like to kick us into larger work um, mm-hmm. and then once we once we had a list of questions then sometimes then the next whether it's a mystery box or a different challenge or if we're doing like a gallery walk it would be a gallery walk of um, like uh, news clippings and articles of of around when those songs were created what's happening in uh, the neighborhoods what's happening around different cities talking about gun violence talking about you know police brutality or just anything that was just coming going on at the time so kids could start to make connections and look at like some uh, primary sources and so they can get a sense of like, all right, this music was created during this particular time period. Here's some, you know, uh, news clippings that they can read from prime primary sources to be able to read about it and to, to, so they can start to gain an understanding of what was happening in the world at that time. Yeah. Um, and so it's all content-based um, through experiences, through songs, through um, news articles, those kind of things. And that was also significantly a project about urban planning, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we were able to dive, use that as a me as a as a way to find these little intersections or these meandering parts of a, like a river to to dive into much uh, deeper levels of work. Yeah, because yeah, and just to say for for the listeners, like uh, it was looking at the way that neighborhoods, predominantly African American neighborhoods throughout the country, got split up absolutely by by highways and how that that kind of lack of regard for those communities ended up connecting to the development of hip-hop and the preoccupations of hip-hop. Yeah. All right. I don't know if there's a good answer to this okay. other than, like, be a teacher for 20 years, but one thing that strikes me, if I were listening to this as, like, a new teacher, when you're, like, when you say, yeah, I take my two weeks of initial team-building activities and I make sure that those all are building towards the project... I would be like, okay, yeah, cool, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, how do you do that? I mean, if you were talking to a new teacher on yeah. staff here yep. and you were like helping them figure that out, short of teaching for 20 years, how can they develop that muscle of seeing, oh, today we should do the spaghetti challenge, but we should tweak the spaghetti challenge so nobody talks, and then in the debrief we should right. bring out, like there's all the all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think after... Being in the classroom so many years, there's things that I do instinctu- uh, instinctively that uh, help me to uh, tweak, adjust different types of team building activities. So I think if I'm t- if I'm sitting down with some like n- the new teachers that I get to work with here and on our campus, I would think about in terms of like backwards planning. And so if I think about what's a project that you're thinking of that you that you're they want to dive into, and not just to think about how do you break down the content. But I, I asked them to think about what are the student behaviors that you're hoping for to, and then you're hoping to see. I think oftentimes, especially when you're working with older students, there is um, an assumption that we say work in groups, that kids understand how to work in groups. So my hope is, and, and what I model to my staff, is that I try to turn the implicit explicit. And I do that by creating activities that I'm going to do with them together and then mm-hmm. explaining what those activities were and why we did them and, and move with that, that type of intention. So 
with thinking about the kind of project work somebody wants to dive into, while they're designing that project, I think something that would help out also is to list out what are the behaviors that they're hoping for to see from students. Maybe that's you know writing behaviors like oh, I want to see students to be able to collaborate well together. You know, uh, I want students to really build on their listen- listening skills. I want students to be able to analyze a piece of reading. You know, like a close piece of reading, and and to be able to produce a you know a reflection off of that. It's like okay, great. So what does that look like? And then how do we design something to give them that opportunity so that they can practice that in a non like a low stakes um, activity so that they can build off of that moving forward when they actually get that piece of, of, of writing that you want them to, to break down and so I think if you start there then you can start to think about different types of activities that they might be able to find online um, to be able to use and then make the tweaks that they need purposefully to those activities so that students are at getting the chance to practice those. And I think that's the key thing is that you're, we're giving students ability to practice into the behaviors that we're hoping to see them exhibit while they're in that project work. When do you see like team building going wrong? When I see team building going wrong is when it's something that's when it's when it's an activity that's that's designed in a way that doesn't allow that does not allow for multiple entry entry points for students to be successful in that activity. So if there's like just one particular thing that students need to do, and you have a couple students who are either one not interested in that, not motivated, or two not able to do that, then you start to lose kids in that ability of gain you know getting their hearts and minds and in their motivations. Um, uh, and excitement to be part of that. So that's why you've got the magazines out, you've got the popsicle sticks out, you've got the drawing Absolutely. pens out, you've got the, all the different ways of... Yeah, if I can, you know, would you think about, like, as same way we think about different modalities of learning, um, I try to think about what are all the different modalities of, like, uh, engaging into something. Yeah. And then, so when I look at an activity, if I see that activity is pretty limiting, like, let's say the activity is just like a, a speaking activity. Well, if I have some kids who don't want to say anything or are, are shy to say anything, or I have, you know, a student, emergent bilingual student who's new and has limited vocabulary, well, that activity we might see less engagement in. Yeah. Or it also might negatively affect them where they're not going to want to participate in class anymore. So, Providing a menu of choices helps, and also just thinking about there are other things that we can do that will allow students to um, engage in that activity where they can feel most successful. Okay, why doesn't Broken Squares have that problem? I think Broken Squares doesn't have that problem because it's an activity of like, it's a one, it's a, an activity that happens all in silence. Two, students have the ability of, you know, they're creating, they're, they're putting a puzzle together, and all students mm-hmm. can be able to put a puzzle together. And three, when I do broken, um, broken squares, I don't put something into the activity where we celebrate when somebody's done, right? Because then it, the other part of it, because kids will get competitive, they're going to want to finish, like, oh, we're done. It's like, oh, yeah, but I'm not celebrating that. I don't, I don't put anything in the procedure of what you're doing to celebrate that. I, the, the one thing I do say is we're, we're, done, with the, we're done when we're all done. Mm-hmm. And so in that activity, like when a group is done, they can, they can stand up and walk around and cheer on. That's the goal is to cheer around, silently cheer on each person. And we talk about what does that look like? How do you, what does the body language look like when you're silently cheering somebody on? Um, and so the, you know, at the end of the day, 
once we're all done, then everybody has their square completed. And the only thing that we're really celebrating is that together as a team that we're able to accomplish this goal together. And this doesn't become competitive. So I think Broken Squares worked really well for me. At least it worked well for me in the classroom um, because it broke the lines of communicating. Like you don't have to worry about communicating. It was silent. It was really focused on um, being able to pay attention to your partners and then thinking about how I can help my partners to, to yeah. with, with their work. That's really helpful. I think... I don't know if like there might not I, I don't know how to answer this question and you might not either uh, but I'm just thinking like you gave the example of that it, it, like single entry points that like something that's like just about speaking is gonna be a problem for some some kids and like I can imagine a teacher being like yeah but just putting together a puzzle is gonna be a problem for some kids like that like that like if you're just like this is the thing we're all doing this thing then you could say like, well, doing the spaghetti challenge is we're all doing this thing. Doing the the broken mm. squares is we're all doing this thing. Building the Rube Goldberg, even though you've got like lots of different stuff, is like we're all doing this thing. I don't know, like, it, they feel different to me. But like, what is it about? Like, I feel like there's times that a single entry point is like really mm. damaging, and there's times when a single mm. entry point is like actually you need it and it's fine. Right. And I like I don't know what that I don't know how you tell, but yeah. I know. Um, you know, and I you know I don't know what the the right answer is for that um, either. Is I think it's just really as teachers, I think it's really important for us to move with intention. So like we don't just give a kids an opportunity to do a team building activity just because we found on the internet and it was quick and easy, and I can make quick copies, and then we just go about doing it. I think it's really important for us to move with intention of like why are we doing this activity and how is this activity going to be beneficial for kids? Yeah, and in the long run, and so maybe it is a single entry point. Um, and so maybe that, that's the justification to do that. Um, but I think also as teachers, we know our kids and, our, and in that hope of knowing your kids, you'll know if that single entry point is going to work for all, you know, almost all of your kids. And yeah. if it's not going to work for all of your kids, then you make the necessary modification or changes or front loading for kiddos, you know, that might, um, have a harder time with it. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so yeah. like, let's say if I'm going to do a single entry point um, activity that does involve speaking, then and then so the day before, a couple of days before, I would talk to like, you know, the one or two students and let them know, hey, this is what we're going to be working on. Yeah. Here's the prompt. Let's let's write something up together. And so that before they even come into the activity, they already have experienced what is going to happen, what they're going to do and feel successful in being able to contribute already during that time. I think those are... Um, modifications that you can make, um, then at the end of the day, when the activity is done, everybody uh, in the group um, will be really successful. And then nobody in, in that kid, that kiddo's group will need to know that they found out about it two days ago. Yeah. You know, and so I think just those little tweaks and just personalizing things for kids um, will help them uh, engage in that work. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So let's say it's it's two months into the year or it's a month into the year and you're just realizing the classroom culture is not, not what I want it to be, but it feels weird to be like, mm -hmm. okay guys, we're all going to start fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that happen. Yeah. It's happened to me. Yeah. Um, so in the past, let's say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a month in, you feel the pressure of like, I'm in a project or if I'm in a traditional class, like I feel the pressure of the scope and sequence and I need to move forward. So you feel like this pressure of like, I can't go back and like start from the beginning. So I felt that a lot in many of my years in the classroom. Um, but you know, when I hit around year 15, I started to do a reset day. 
And so let's say I found myself, um, you know, a month and a half in, the culture in the class isn't where I want it to be. I would hold like a two-day reset. And I would be intentional and transparent with kids about it. And part of that, I would maybe, depending on the level that you have, right, if it's elementary, it might be look a lot different than what I would do at a, at a high school level. But I would, you know, give maybe start with the Google form with kids, just like a, an open survey about what's happening in the class. Maybe ask critical questions about how are you feeling about how the class is going, um, engagement, how would you rate the engagement of, of students in this project, how, you know, are, are there things that you are, um, excited about that's happening in our class. What are the, some things, improvement that we can use in our class? And so I would use that survey as a means to get into some talking points with students. And oftentimes students will call it out right away. If, you, if the classroom culture is off, there's kids who are being disruptive or just like the flow doesn't really feel good. I think kids will call that out when you give them the opportunity to do so. And so I'll start there in, in this idea of like a two-day reset and then open it out, talk about it with students and then brainstorm with them about, okay, what are some ways that we can um, create some goals and get better as a group and as as I'm doing this in this entire like this idea of reset and like calling things out and being intentional about it and being transparent at the same time I'm designing new activities so that we can do that um, to get us into the place of where they want to be so whatever the goals are then like that might turn into a mystery box challenge um, whatever the goals are that might turn into like uh, connecting students with like an expert on, in the field that's around the project that we're working on who can talk to us about about these things but whatever it is I'm trying to build in new experiences with students to kind of reset that culture and to go back oftentimes if there's like a lack of joy in the class and kids start to call that out then I just try to maybe spend a day or a couple of days to like refine like going back and trying to find what that joy is sometimes that means I go back to like letters they have written me or the you know some identity stuff that um, work that we've done in the beginning so I can go back into that stash read through it think about what kids are most passionate about and then redesign a reset day to really hone in on what kids are passionate about and then kind of capture their hearts again I'm all in and okay with doing a reset. I think oftentimes, at least if others out there felt the same way, that I felt like the pressure of the work moved me not to do that. But I think just even spending a couple days on pausing, even pausing academic work to reset the culture uh, just paid off in the end mm -hmm. um, and allowed us to find a place of just joy and fun. And I yeah. think that's the, the whole thing for me always is like if, if kids are not smiling or laughing, at some point in that class, then like I, I need to tweak and make some changes to it. And oftentimes yeah. that's where I felt like the reset was most needed because kids were just like maybe burnt out of the project, stressed out about deadlines and things like that. I'm like, I need to find a way to, for us to like, capture their hearts, find something that's joyful in the work again, give them opportunities to engage in that, to have fun, to smile, to create shared memories. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I always think about at the, end of the, at the end of the year, you know, what are kids going to remember most, right? And they might not remember me covering parallel structure and writing, but they're going to remember some shared experience where they were laughing together or they were smiling together. So if I can do that in a reset day to kind of help get us back into a place where I can uh, build on that classroom culture, um, then I'll do that. And so once I started doing that, I found myself doing that in all parts of the year. Another powerful thing that I found, and I wish I started this at the beginning of my career than doing this like the last four years, is just being open with kids about like, hey, that didn't go well. Or if I see like, you know, let's say we're doing a, t a test or a quiz and, you know, most of the kids, you know, don't do so well. 
and you know instead of leaving it on them it's like oh i didn't do so i was like no you no it was not you i'm gonna own this whatever i was uh, trying to accomplish that didn't go so well so i'm gonna talk to my mentors i'm gonna talk to my coach i'm gonna try to figure this out for you because i owe it to you and we're gonna redo this and sometimes i would do a redo lesson so like instead of like a reset day for culture i would do a a redo lesson like we're gonna do this lesson in a different way and i'm gonna ask you to evaluate how this lesson went and then and talk about like what parts of these lessons really like you were jiving with and spoke to you and which parts like I can improve on. Mm-hmm. And so even asking students to kind of evaluate my craft as an educator helped me just to become stronger in the, in the craft um, and then being open with them about like when I feel like I'm not doing so well and that I need help. Um, when you, when I just found that involving my kiddos in that process for my own growth just solidified that idea and understanding that we're a family and that we're here together and they know that I'm trying my best and that they, I'm also going to involve their voices to help me uh, become the best person that they need me to be. Awesome, Mom. Right on. All right. Final question. Yeah. Is there anything that you've seen you want to shout out in terms of like going around classrooms either this year or in past years as an administrator that you've been like, oh, that is so cool? Yeah, so I'll, like I'll shout out Ted and Will's uh, ninth grade co-op group. Quick interjection: That's physics teacher Ted Cuevas and humanities teacher Will Farrell. Now back to Edric. They take a day, and they did this yesterday, doing team building activities through for their entire time that they have kids. But the activities are led by former students that were in their co-op group in the past, and usually he uses uh, 11th grade students. So the 11th grade students are leading these team building activities. And those team building activities are all the kind of activities that I talked about earlier, where it gives kids an opportunity to be able to engage with each other, low stakes matter, but also have fun. So they're all outdoors. One of my favorite activities that I walked into yesterday, walked into our uh, North Field, and I see a student blindfolded. They're in the middle of this box, maybe about eight feet by eight feet, um, using with blue tape on the ground, and there's different objects. Um, And then there's like a bucket to the side. So it was clear to me that that student was getting directions on how to find these items and how to put it in the bucket. But the student giving the direction had um, her back to that student. So she could not see what was happening in the box. And then her teammates, the small group of other six kids, were on the outside on an arc, watching what was happening in the box, they had to give the person giving directions. They had to give her directions without talking. So we have this small group of six kids giving hand gesture directions to the one person who can give a verbal direction to the student who is in the middle of the the box (laughs) with the blindfolded trying to pick up all the pieces. And they did it successfully. And I was like, oh, this is so amazing. Because like kids were just like having fun. You can see the the, the kid look on the kids' faces who can't talk, wanting to say something, but like all moving different directions, like stand up and go to the left. (laughs) You see the kid who's giving, the student who's giving the verbal direction, like, you know, a little bit anxious, but like shouting out all these different things. Um, at this all at the same time and the person in the middle looking like a you know a broken robot going back and forth trying to listen to the directions <laughs> but at the end of it they were able to do the activity um, but I think you know through the debrief of that it just taught so much to the kiddos about like how directions are given perceived received um, and then how you could do that in all the different forms and still accomplish something together as a team uh, it was amazing so I saw that and I like I told the, I told will and Ted already it's like dude I want to copy this and we should get the staff to do this as well and so I think their goal they usually do this one big day in the beginning of the year um, but we talked about like how do you just replicate that throughout the year um, or just like take these 
uh, use these act- kind of activities to kind of help redirect um, your, your your teams or the co-op group um, moving forward. So, yeah, uh, big ups to them. Super amazing day. The kids always look forward to it as well. Um, not just the kiddos who are the ninth grade kiddos who are currently in their room, but the eleventh grade kiddos who can come back and and, and give back. Um, they always have a lot, a lot of fun leading leading all our our younger freshmen in through those activities. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, super hey. rad. Eric, thank you so much, mom. No, it's been fun. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. High Tech High Unboxed is hosted and edited by me, Alec Patton. Our theme music is by Brother Herschel. Huge thanks to Edric for taking the time to talk to us. You can find links to the Meals and Muppets movie and that Broken Circles activity in our show notes. There's also a link to the video that Edric made with the High Tech High Chula Vista staff at the start of the school year. I promise you, you will be glad you watched this movie. Thanks for listening.